The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. All right, if you would find in your Bibles today the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, a little bit of a, a change of gear, so to speak. We have been heavily in the Old Testament and in between a series of studies leading toward Advent, toward the Christmas season, we find ourselves in Luke's Gospel, and it's not by accident. Wednesday night we looked at a passage in the, in the ninth chapter of Luke's Gospel about what it looks like to be a disciple. And this is really important for us. If we're here and we are, uh, well, if we're, if we're here, first of all, that kind of sets a, a benchmark, so to speak. There's plenty of places besides a, a church facility that you could have been today. Uh, but you're here, so that starts on a, a particular direction. And so it would be worth our time, I believe, to really consider... What are we doing here? Why are we here? What, what, what uh, purpose do we have in coming here and gathering? And What do we hope to gain? What are we looking for? What do we hope to give? Uh, or do we hope to give? So that brings us to a set of questions such as, what do you look for in a church? Many of you may not have had to ask that question in the recent past because many of you have been here for a number of years, right? So maybe you haven't thought about that lately. I mean, maybe you have, but maybe uh, you haven't had the need to think about those things. But what do you look for in a church? How do you decide where you're going to plug in and serve and and be a part of an, a local expression of the body of Christ? What criteria do you use when you're trying to figure that out? Or do you have criteria? Have you thought it through to that degree to where, all right, here are, are the things I'm looking for. Let's see if I find it. Or is it just kind of, well, let's just see what happens. You know, There's, there's a big spectrum of, of things you could consider, but that doesn't mean necessarily you will consider those things. So, if you have, do you have a checklist? And if you do, is your checklist biblical? Or is it personal? Or is it a combination of the two? Is it objective based on Scripture? Is it subjective based on your personal opinion and preference? Or is it some sort of uh, combination? Do you pray about it? Do you seek wise counsel from godly people in your life? Do you have conversations with close friends such as, hey, uh, maybe if you, if you don't have a church experience, maybe it's, maybe it's like this, maybe it's, hey, I was thinking about trying, uh, trying out a church, going to church. What do you think about that? What do you think I should look for? Or it could look like this, hey, uh, I've just been feeling uneasy at the, the church I've been attending and I'm thinking maybe I need to look somewhere else. What do you think I should look for? Do you have this conversation? 
Have you had those conversations? Have you thought about things like that? What do you do when you're certain you're in the right place? Or what about the opposite of that? What would you do if you're certain you're not in the right place? How would you handle that? Would you, would you turn to Scripture and prayer and godly counsel? Or would you just kind of wing it, so to speak? What priorities do we place on the ministry of the local church and our personal involvement in it? I know these are, this, this is a long list of questions, and they're, they're pretty uh, significant. They're, they're heavy, so to speak. But it all, all those questions really fall underneath a larger category. And, and that gets us to this scripture today, almost as a follow-up from Wednesday night. And here it is. What does it cost me to be a disciple of Christ? Does it cost me anything? Because if it doesn't cost me anything, am I a disciple? And, and I know what maybe, maybe, let me head this off before it gets too far in your thoughts. You may have thought just now, what you mean... I thought salvation was free. Absolutely. Forgiveness in Christ is free, but it's not cheap. And, and that's a distinction we have to make. It's free to us, but it came at a terrible price. The blood of Jesus. So, with that in mind, what sacrifices do I make? That's the cost I'm talking about. What does it cost me to follow Jesus? Is it my reputation? Is it the opinions of others? Is it advancement in the workplace? Is there a cost that I'm willing to pay because I'm not willing to walk away from Jesus? I'm going to follow Jesus, so what's it going to cost me? The Bible speaks to this subject. and I'm going to read this text from... Verse 25 down to verse 35, and then I'll give a little bit of context. And then there's three areas that we want to just zero in on quickly this morning to see the cost of discipleship. The Scripture will be on the screen. You can follow along in your own Bibles as well. Luke 14, beginning of verse 25. And here's what the Bible says. Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation 
and asks for terms of peace. So then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Therefore salt is good, but if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Father, in Jesus' name I pray that you will open up our minds, open up our hearts, help us to have focus, and I pray by your Holy Spirit you'd give us understanding so that we would be obedient to what you tell us. For the glory of Christ. Amen. Now, this passage is... I almost hated to read just this and not go back some to what we looked at Wednesday night in chapter 9. There's two passages in chapter 9 that really would be helpful. But let me just give you some context about this chapter in particular. And I'm just going to give you real broad strokes from the very first verse of chapter 14. Just some bullet points, so to speak. The very first verse in chapter 14, Jesus is going to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees and they were watching him carefully. That's the key phrase. They're watching him carefully. You know why they're watching him? They want to try to pick on his words and try to find something he said that's not right, that they can try to catch him in in something that he said that's uh, maybe uh, inconsistent. When you get down to verse 7 and verse 11, now Jesus is telling a parable to the ones who were invited to this little shindig. And he noticed how they chose where they sat around the table. This, like, uh, maybe a more honorable, more important spot that he watched how they chose their spot. And then he says in verse 11, everyone who exalts himself is going to be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. The next little section... He's teaching the man who had invited all the guests a very important lesson. Your motivation for serving is just as important as the service itself. Here's here's an analogy. You ever heard, well, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. You ever heard that? And, And so sometimes the message gets overshadowed by the tone of voice or the attitude, right? And, and so, in the same way that words, maybe by themselves, are just innocuous, not, not good or bad, but then maybe the tone of voice or the attitude that the words come in, maybe then that makes it a certain way. Well, with service, service is important, but it's the motivation for the service that's just as important. Ask, your, ask if you've got kids, ask your child to do something, a chore around the house. Now, there's two ways that could happen. Sure, I'll be glad to. Smile on your face. All right, whatever. They might still do the chore, but two different attitudes, right? Motivation for service just as important as service itself. In the last big paragraph prior to our passage, Jesus is teaching a parable about a great banquet. The banquet was ready, and a servant was sent out to call everybody who had been invited, And the master of the house got mad because his house wasn't full. This might spark some memories of this story. So the master tells the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. 
The master wanted his house to be full. And the servant said, we, we did that. There's still room. And then the last sentence before our passage, verse 24, I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner, my banquet. The reason why is everybody had an excuse why they couldn't make it. But they weren't there, even though they had been invited. So that sets up our text today. And there's three things that I want to just focus in on from verse 25 to 35. The first one of these is the priorities of discipleship. Because when you think about what priorities we have in discipleship, and if you think about what discipleship is, what is a disciple? It's a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. That's a disciple. So discipleship is the process by which those disciples are developed. I was going to say made, but not... We make disciples, yes, but uh, it's, it's a development. It's a sanctification. It's a growth process. So the, the idea of discipleship in the church context is, I want to be more and more and more like Jesus. That's the process. So the priorities of that, that process... The first one is the priority of love. So if you look at the text, Jesus starts out and says some really crazy things. you got to hate your family. Really? Is that really what he's saying? It's not. So let me head off some potential questions. When Jesus says in verse 26, if you're going to come to me, follow me, be my disciple, if you don't hate your father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, even your own life, you can't be my disciple. Here's what this means in a nutshell. Our love for Christ has to be so much more than any other relationship we have Amen. that when you compare the two, our love for our family looks like hate because we love Jesus so much. Does that, does that make sense? You're tracking with that? It's not saying you've got to hate your family. But why did, why did Jesus say that? It'll get your attention, won't it? What do you mean? I have to hate my father, mother, wife, children. You know, of course that's not what he means. Because that's contrary to the, the teaching of the rest of the counsel of God's Word. But the priority of love, even hate your own life, says my love for Jesus has to be in a class by itself. Okay? Because... As much as you love your family and they love you, has anyone in your family died and risen from the grave and forgiven your sins? No. That doesn't mean they don't love you. And it certainly doesn't mean you don't love them. It just means that Jesus is God Almighty. And He deserves a different level of love. The priority of love. Secondly, though, in verse 27, the priority of submission. If you don't bear your own cross and follow me. This, we see, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just go back here just for the sake of uh, reinforcement and read something I read the other day. In Luke 9.23, and you can jot that down, look at it later. Luke 9.23, Jesus says... 
If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So here in chapter 14 and verse 27, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What does that mean exactly? What is the cross in Jesus' life? It was the means by which he sacrificed himself for the sins of the world. It was his instrument of death. So, what does that mean for us? Take up your cross. Carry your own cross. It means every day I've got to die to myself. As difficult as that means it would be, I have to put aside myself, my priorities, my plans, my agenda, my desires, in deference to Jesus and His plans and His purposes and His desires and His priorities. Does that make sense? It means what Jesus says is more important than what I say. Right? And that's just a general principle. Jesus is more important than me. And so taking up my cross, dying to myself, it's a daily struggle, a daily challenge. I've got to, I've got to subordinate myself in favor of what Jesus says. That, that's the priority of being a disciple. Public admission that Jesus is right. That means even if it's difficult, even if it's uncomfortable, even if people might say something about me, even if they're going to think less of me, unimportant. Ultimately, unimportant. Right? Because here's what happens. You get in a disagreement about a subject. Well, I just I could say what I really think, but I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Meanwhile, God's up in His heaven, and you've hurt His feelings. So, so whose feelings are more important? God's or somebody in the world? Now again, does that mean we don't care about other people's feelings? Of course not. Of course not. It's not, what, it's not an extreme one way or the other. It's just saying that if I have to stand on God's Word and live for His will and purposes in my life and that happens to upset someone, sorry, not sorry. Okay? That, that's what that looks like. If you're going to be a disciple, that's what it looks like. The priority of submission. Now, those are the priorities of discipleship. Secondly, in the largest section here in this paragraph, the cost of discipleship. And it's illustrated in a couple of ways here. The first one is building a tower. So what do you have to have if you're going to build something? You've got to have a plan. You've got to have blueprints. You've got to have materials. You've got to have money, finances, if you're going to complete the project. Anybody ever ridden down the road, seen a house that was half built and just left? You ever, you ever seen that? I hadn't seen that a whole lot, but it's like they started, they got going, something happened, ran out of money, and there it sits, like a foundation and some framed walls, and that's it, just sitting there rotting because they didn't have enough money to finish it. So it's just sitting there. Well, you have to consider whether or not you've got enough to finish the project. So Jesus says we need to consider whether or not we're willing to pay the cost associated with discipleship. Are there sacrifices to be made? Are there things that maybe we will go without? Like, not just material things. 
What about uh, we might go without some particular relationships, friendships. We might go without this or that job promotion. We might go without um, the approval of others. It's a sacrifice. But Jesus sacrificed everything for me. And I'm worried about what Joe around the corner thinks about me. I mean, it's not like I don't care about Joe, but if, if it depends on whether or not I'm going to care about what he thinks versus what God thinks, I'm going to go with God. Right, that, there's, there's priorities, there's costs associated with this. I heard a, a pastor Monday last week at the South Carolina Baptist Convention Pastors Conference. And I mentioned this a bit on Wednesday night. And I, I, I know I can't reproduce what he said, and I, I'll paraphrase at best. But he outlined the gospel. A good ten minutes he took and outlined every detail of Jesus and his earthly ministry and life and his sacrifice and his death and then all the way to his uh, torture before his crucifixion detail. Everything that Jesus did and went through and suffered for us. And his conclusion after describing all these terrible things that Jesus endured for our sake, he said, after all that, how can I just give him a little spare time? How can I just give him some loose pocket change? How can I just give him my leftovers? Jesus gave everything. And I'm just going to... Well, if I have time, or, well, I don't have, any, have anything to put in the plate this week, or, uh, yeah, I could do that. I know I've got that ability, but I've got other things to do that day. In other words, God's not a priority. Jesus gave everything. There's even a song about it. Jesus paid it all. Anybody know the next line? Oh, you shouldn't have said that. Because, see, now you all know it. So now you can't plead ignorance. Fresh out of excuses. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. But all too often, we're not worried about the cost of discipleship because it doesn't really cost us anything. Because we give God whatever we have left over instead of our first and our best. We just, well... I mean, if I have anything, if I have any time, I might do this, or I might serve, or I might give, or I might be there. You know, I got other things to do. You know, more important stuff. If you build a tower, you need to complete the project. How about going to war? This is the second uh, analogy, verse 31. A king going out to meet another king in battle. Going to war requires a conscious decision. Are we willing to make the ultimate sacrifice? We just celebrated Veterans Day. And, and that's not Memorial Day. So understand that the purpose of Veterans Day is for those who are currently serving or have served still living. The purpose of Memorial Day is those who have served and have given the ultimate sacrifice of their lives. 
Veterans Day. Did you know what all veterans who are still living share? Well, all veterans really, but all veterans who are still living, you know what they, that one quality they share? Even though they're still living, they were willing to die. Because they served. That means they didn't know if that sacrifice would ever be required of them, but they were willing to do it if need be. And so they were willing to pay the cost that could be required to serve in the armed forces of the United States. When they signed the the agreement, when they went to basic training, when they went to whatever their specialized school was, when they served in their area of service, whatever they did, when they were deployed, every single one was willing to make a sacrifice. Now, when we declare, oftentimes from right up here, as a public profession in the pools of baptism, I am declaring for anyone who can see or hear me, I am, I am following Jesus. He has saved me from my sins. He's died in my place. He rose again on the third day. I am forgiven and going to heaven. And I am following Jesus from now on. That is a declaration. Whether we realize it or not at the moment, I am willing to pay the cost, whatever it may be. If it's public disgrace, if it's a, a, a conflict in relationship, if it's a, a sacrifice of the world's goods, whatever it may be, that's what I'm willing to do. Because I've made a conscious decision and I am willing to make the ultimate sacrifice. We have to consider whether or not we're willing to give up everything for Jesus. So you look at the text. Verse 33. None of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Does that mean, alright, they got to go and start donating, giving away, and, and then they got to come back when they've given everything away. No, that's not what that means. What it means is, none of my possessions is worth more to me than my Jesus. Amen. Anything he asks of me, I'll do it. Doesn't matter. Take a take a blank piece of paper, and just before you before you wonder, now I do have notes on this side. Take a blank piece of paper and sign your name at the bottom. Lord, I sign my name. Now you write on that paper whatever you want. I've already, I've already signed my yes. Now you just fill in whatever, whatever it is, and I'll do it. That's a conscious decision. See, the people following Jesus through the countryside had left everything. They left their family, left their jobs. Remember uh, Peter and Andrew, James and John, brothers. They, Fishermen left their stuff. Matthew left, left, left his uh, tax collecting booth. 
Jesus said, come follow me. Left their stuff and went. Right? They just left. They left. James and John left their daddy in the fishing boat. They just got up and went. And he's still, where are you going? We've got, we got to go follow Jesus. They knew the most important thing on earth was Jesus and his gospel. Amen. So they followed. The cost of discipleship. All right, last thing. The last two verses. The value of discipleship. Salt is good unless it is no longer salty. Then it's useless. It's just thrown out. Not, not good for the soil, not even good for the manure pile, the Bible says in verse 35. It's thrown out. So as long as salt retains the characteristics of salt, it's good. So, do you know how we would apply that to ourselves? It's almost uh, a foregone conclusion, but I'll go ahead and tell you. Pretend salt equals the follower of Jesus. The Bible says salt is good as long as it retains and maintains the characteristics of salt. And if it does not have those characteristics any longer, then it's not good for the ground, not good for the manure pile, it's just thrown out. If the disciple of Jesus, the follower of Jesus, retains the characteristics of a follower of Jesus, that's good. But when the proclaimed, professed follower of Jesus has no characteristics of a follower of Jesus, they're, they're useless. In fact, they're, they're, I, would, I would argue they are worse than useless because then they're still proclaiming to follow Jesus, but they're not following Jesus. That means everybody who looks at them in their lives would, would mistake their lives for what it looks like to follow Jesus, and they don't have any of the characteristics of somebody following Jesus. You understand? So, so here's the personal, very practical application for us. If you're not willing to pay the cost of discipleship or follow the priorities of discipleship or strive for the value and the, the worth of a disciple of Christ, stop calling yourself a Christian. Because it does damage to the name of Jesus. It, it, practically speaking, here's what it does. It leads people who are searching for hope farther away from Jesus. It's a terrible thing. And I really believe in my heart that we have not, I have not grasped the importance of if I'm going to say I follow Jesus, I actually need to be following Jesus. It's not just a, a nice title to grab because it might benefit me in certain circles. He's the Lord of all creation. He is the sovereign King of the universe. He's not someone to be just messed around with. He's so much more important than that. And if I'm going to claim His name, I have got to submit and follow 
and dis- display the characteristics of Christ. Does that mean I'm going to be perfect? Well, of course not. But when, every time I fail, you know what the Bible says? If any of you sins, we have an advocate with the, with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And He will bridge the gap of our failures. Every time. When we come to Him with confession and repentance. Convicted of our sin. But discipleship is no laughing matter. So there's a question that we have to consider. What are we worth as disciples? Where do we find ourselves on the spectrum of am I, am I following? Am I being obedient? Am, am I serving? Am I reading my Bible? Am I spending time with the Lord? Am I doing everything I can to follow Jesus? And, and yeah, I'm going to hit some bumps along the way and I'm going to stumble and fall, but I'm going to get back up and, and by the strength and power of the Holy Ghost, I'm going to follow Jesus. Am, am I doing that? Am I displaying those characteristics? One thing that happens when we're struggling in this process that I've noticed is it seems like uh, sometimes people do what I, I would call it uh, like church hopping. You know, some, sometimes if people might get, uh, I don't know, disillusioned with some things at a church or something, they won't pray about it, they won't you know, seek godly counsel or read scripture, just, well, I'm gonna just, I'll just go over here then. Which, by the way, this is not what this sermon's about, but that is one of the main reasons why church discipline, biblical church discipline, is so difficult to do because people just will find. I just go to another church. And you know what they do? They'll take their terrible attitude and their unchristlike demeanor and they'll go poison another body with it. When they should be under the discipline of the, of the Word. And by the way, another thing, not in this sermon. Do you know why, what the purpose of church discipline really is? We ought to be so empty without the connection to the local church that it brings us under conviction of our sin because we can't stand to be away from the body of Christ. That's the purpose of church discipline. That's why when you go to read Matthew 18 and you see what it says about you go to if, if a brother sins against you, go to him one on one, and if he you know if he listens to you, you've won your brother back. But if not, take two or three with you, and then then talk to him. And then if he listens, great. If he doesn't, then tell it to the church. And if he won't listen to the if he won't listen to an entire body of believers wrapping their arms around and saying this is this is not good for you. This sin is hurting you, it's hurting this fellowship. And if he, if he won't repent, then, hey, you need to repent. But until you do, you can't be here because it poisons the fellowship. And that absence is supposed to drive someone to conviction so they can be restored. 
and reconcile to the body. And, and so when we don't prioritize being a disciple, it makes discipline almost impossible. You can't love people back to Jesus if they're unwilling to be loved. So I've come to realize when, when that happens, you know, you, you can go, you can put your name on another church's role and still be absent. Y'all all right? Everybody okay? I mean, you can, there's no fence around where you're allowed to be inconsistent. And there's no shortage of churches, unfortunately, that do not really preach the Bible. And they aren't really concerned about making disciples according to Scripture. And they're not really worried about holding each other accountable for spiritual growth. And, and I hate to say this, and this may sound like, well, what kind of preacher says that? This one. Uh, if that's the kind of church you're looking for, this may not be the place for you. Because I know for a fact that I'm going to be judged by Almighty God for every word that comes out of my mouth. And quite frankly, I'm not willing to risk that over not preaching what He told me to preach. So, as long as I can breathe and talk, this right here is what's coming from this pulpit. And, and because that's, that's what makes us disciples of Jesus. It's what makes us more like Jesus. And, and it's just not worth taking a chance on disappointing the God of the universe because our feelings might get hurt from time to time by what He tells us. Does, does that make sense? What I'm saying, does that make sense? I, listen here, I'm, I'll tell you this. This would be a good way to close. I've stood in the pulpit before and I've preached in my own strength. Not prayed up. Not studied up. Haven't done it often because once you do it one time, you realize the thin ice you're walking on. I, I've done it before. And here's, here's the thought process. Man, I've been to... I got this degree and this degree. I've been to all these... I've been to all this school and training. I've done this for so long. I can, I can handle it. I know what I'm doing. Can you imagine? <laughs> I hate even... I don't know why I'm telling you this. I can't imagine the depth of stupidity and arrogance that would lead somebody to do that. But I did. I've never felt that bad in all my life. Because I attempted to do what God had called me to do outside of His strength to do it which means I was not being a good disciple. And Jesus is waiting for good disciples. 
He's waiting for us to realize we need to follow Jesus. We don't need to just grab His name. We need to bend our knees, humble ourselves, and seek His face and follow His Word. That's what a disciple does. And so I pray that's what we will do. Because if we want to see God's glory manifested among us, He doesn't do that for just anybody. But He does it for His children. His faithful followers. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.